This is part three of our series called 21. Today I wanted to take a look at Psalm 73. And in that psalm or prayer, the writer gets his attention on what he can see and starts putting blame on circumstances and even God. He starts to doubt the idea that God is good. So what do we do when we face doubts? What do we do if everything around us seems to be falling apart? And how do we react when we're trying to do our best at following God while others may be getting the so-called good treatment? Is God really good? So the first message we dealt with in prayer was, I spoke about the purpose of prayer, which was to know God and to experience God as God. And last week I talked about how we can trust how prayer works or trust that prayer works as long as prayer is wrapped around God's will, because sometimes when we pray, we want our will to be done, and God's like, that's not what I want. And sometimes we see differently, and so last week we talked about that. So this week, we're going to be talking, kind of focusing on, on a prayer that, that uh, surrounds doubt, because sometimes we all come to a conclusion and face doubts or circumstances that cause us to wonder about what's going on in our lives and even with God. So if you have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen, but if you have your Bibles and want to, you can turn to Psalm 73. And as you turn, I'm just going to kind of say, prayer covers a lot of stuff. You know, you have thanksgiving, you have repentance, you have making requests known. Um, it's not like one prayer is better than the other or one prayer outdoes another. Prayer kind of covers a multitude of things. So here we're going to be kind of dealing with, again, a prayer about doubt. And sometimes we treat prayer as an automatic yes, especially if we use in Jesus' name. I don't know about you, but when I first learned about prayer and learned how to pray, I thought as long as I ended my prayer with in Jesus' name, it would happen. Because that's, that's the right phrase to say. That's like, that's like the highlight. That's like God's not listening, but when he hears Jesus' name, he's like, there you go. I'm going to answer that prayer. And when things didn't happen, I'm like, but I said in Jesus' name, I asked the, you know, I said the right thing. Why didn't God answer my prayer? But remember, when we pray in Jesus' name, it's only through his name that we have complete access to God. It's more than an opportunity to thank God in prayer for his grace when we say in Jesus' name, but it's more than that, just getting a prayer answered. So Psalm 73 20-something verses, so we are going to read the whole psalm. So it says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pains until death, their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are, for they are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace, violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through the fatness. Their hearts overflow, overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault to them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, and they increase in riches." All in vain I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been stricken and rebuked, and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed generations of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a worrisome task. Until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I discerned therein. Truly, 
You set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O oh Lord, when you, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I continually am with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Who am I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who was unfaithful to you, but for me it is good to be near to God. I have made the Lord my God my refuge, that I may tell all of your works. There's a lot to unpack and a lot to really go through, so we're not going to break down every single verse possible, but we want to understand the thought process of this author, this writer. It's interesting to note that when you read a passage like this, sometimes you realize that the Bible understands or recognizes it's difficult for believers to accept spiritual things. In other words, when sometimes you come across this passage, God understands how difficult it is to grasp spiritual things. He understands that we are going to struggle with doubt because we can't see God. He understands that we're going to struggle with our faith because we weren't in heaven and we don't behold his glory like the angels do. There's this disconnect. Since this is God's word, we can see that God himself, again, understands these disconnections in our lives. God understands, which is why the Bible deals with a lot of, deals with a lot of answers to our questions or to our doubts. Jesus had to explain a lot of things to his disciples. You know, just go through any of the Gospels and Jesus will tell the story and the disciples who are with Jesus said, hey, that was awesome what you said, but can you tell us what you meant? Because we don't know. Jesus is like, really? I got to explain this to you? Because we, could, we can't understand some heavenly principles, some heavenly things, because there is a disconnect between earth and heaven. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. That word weakness can mean illness. It can mean being timid, but here it's talking about limitations. We have limitations. And because we have limitations, God says, okay, I get it. You're going to have doubts. You're not going to be able to understand everything going on, so I'm going to send myself in human form, the Son, Jesus, and he's going to be this mediator. And when you see him, you're going to be able to understand things a little bit better because he'll be on earth like you. And so when we go to prayer in Jesus' name, we go through him who understands our doubts, who understands the things we face because he was here on earth. Jesus is able to sympathize with our limitations. He's able to understand this disconnect that we have with the spiritual. And this is why we pray in Jesus' name. It's not to get what we want because we say the right thing. It's to understand this disconnect, to align our prayers with God. You don't have, we don't have the power and the strength to do it. We just don't have the tools to get it done. So we go to God in prayer through our mediator, Jesus. See, the purpose of prayer, again, is to know God and to experience God. That is the main 
purpose of prayer. It's to know God and to experience God. Again, last week, prayer works as long as we wrap it around God's will. We say things, we present requests to God, but then we say, okay, whatever you will, whatever you want to be done, let it happen in this circumstance because we don't know what tomorrow holds like he does. So the writer of this psalm is facing a state of weakness, facing a state of disconnect, facing a state of blurriness. There is this fine line where he's not understanding what's going on in the spiritual. So first he says in verse one, truly God is good to Israel. How many of you heard a statement? God is good all the time and all the time. Okay, y'all know it. Kind of the same thing. It's a generic thing that people say, God is good. And you know, some people, I used to get annoyed when people would have a, you know, they might have a bad day and they're like, oh, God's so good. I'm like, I'm going to get real. You're, you're having a bad day and they'll just say, oh, God's still good. I'm like, oh, come on, just be truthful. Be honest with me. But there's this, there's this foundation sometimes that when people go through difficulty, that's a phrase that we learn and understand and try to remind ourselves that no matter what, God is good. Amen. We learn this, we know this, but it may, not, it may not be what we feel at the moment. That's what this writer was experiencing. Hey, I know God's good. He, he blesses those who are pure in heart. He's good to those who wait on him. He's good to those who follow him and obey him. But verse 2, he says, but as for me... My feet almost stumbled and my steps had nearly slipped. So he's saying, God's good. I understand this. But for me, there was a point in my life, there was a point in time where I was at that point of stumbling. I was at the point of slipping and, and falling off. You know, it's funny. When I took a criminal justice class and, um, you know, we had to pretend we were criminals to, to, for the officer to show us how to do certain things. And so it came from me and... And so I had to, you know, walk, pretend you're a drunk, an out-of-control drunk guy. I'm like, because he's a big guy. I'm a big guy. And he's like, I want to show people how to control you. I'm like, you're not going to control me, buddy, but we'll go for it. So, of course, I, anyway. So I had, to walk, I had to try to walk a straight line. And as you can see, I'm, I'm already struggling because I can't walk a straight line. So I'm sitting here, and I'm, like, falling everywhere. And he's looking at me. He's like, are you on any medicine or anything? I said, no, I, no I'm, I just, I have really bad balance. Like, if someone tells me, Hey, you need to cross this line to get to the other side. Well, see you later. I'm just going to, you know, stay over here. Um, I can't walk a straight line. So, and the cop said, if you ever get pulled over, make sure you tell the cop you can't walk a straight line to give you any other test. Now, I happened, and a cop was like, well, I want to see this. So I'm walking out. I'm stumbling. And the cop's like, are you joking? I said, no. So I had to do the other test when I got pulled over one time because I had a brake light out. But nevertheless, there's this point where we can't get our balance right, and that we're struggling. You see, here, when he's talking about stumbling or, or slipping, he's not walking a straight line. You know, if you slip, I'm not slipping doing this. I just have bad balance. I'm clumsy. Now, if you slip, you're almost going like an incline. You know, if, if it's icy outside, you have these warnings. Be careful. Caution. It's slippery outside. In other words, pay attention to how fast you're driving or the way you're driving or bridges and so forth. Be cautious of wet spots. When you go to stores and they're just mopping and cleaning the floors and you have all those yellow signs everywhere, caution, slippery, be careful. So when there's slipperiness around, we're a little bit more cautious. So he wasn't just aimlessly walking with God, but he was carefully slipping. He was going up. He was progressing in his relationship with God and he realized that he was starting to slip. 
The writer here starts at a good place that God is good. We know serving God in life doesn't stand still. Life continues on no matter what we face or what we go through. We move forwards or backwards. You don't stand still. His, this writer's relationship with God is going forward, but at some point he begins to slip. But he says, I caught myself. As I'm slipping, as I'm moving forward, he doesn't allow himself to keep going down. He realizes something's happening, something's going on. And he says, I caught myself. So what caused his slipping? Verses 3 through 5, he says, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now that word prosperity actually is a common Hebrew word that most people would know. It's called shalom. Has anybody ever heard shalom? Peace. Peace be with you, right? That's what that word prosperity means. And so this guy is saying, God is good. He's good to the pure in heart. Everything's supposed to be working out. But, but I notice these people... While I'm struggling and stumbling and facing doubts and things aren't going well because he talks about I'm being rebuked and all this stuff, well, these people that aren't serving God are being prosperous. They're shalom. They're, they have peace. Something's not right. Why are they living a prosperous life and here I am facing these troubles, these doubts? Verses 12 through 14, it says, Behold, these are the wicked away at ease, they increase in riches. Man, these guys, they're wicked, but their bank accounts are growing and mine's decreasing. Verse 13, all in vain, I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands of innocence. In other words, I've been doing the right thing. They're getting blessed and I'm not, and I'm doing the right thing. I don't understand it. Verse 14, for all day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. Have you ever been there where you are looking at your life and you're looking at someone else and you're trying hard to do the right thing and you're looking at their life and they're not doing the right thing, so to speak, in different areas of their life and yet they're, it looks like they're prospering. It looks like everything's going well in their life and you're just like, really? I've tried to do everything right and nothing is working out. This is what this writer is experiencing. I'm pure at heart. I get stricken and rebuked. And here's these people living a wicked life and they get shalom, they get peace, they get prosperity, they get riches. You see, when you experience things like this, it begins to play with your mind. You start to really doubt God. Like I share with you a story, I have a friend who I went to Bible college with and he left Christianity because he felt like God just wasn't answering his prayers and he wondered if God was even real. And last week I talked about how, how do we know that prayer works and God's will for our lives. But he let doubt consume him. He let doubt control him. He was slipping, but instead of catching himself and catch where he was at, he just continued to fall and just said, forget it. I'm done and, and walked away. It begins to play with your mind when you face these types of doubts. Why hasn't God heard my prayer? Why hasn't God answered my prayer? Does prayer even really work? Again, our mind is taught to say God is good, but when things like this happen, it's difficult to say that. It's difficult to utter the words, God is good, and mean it. I mean, we can obviously say it, but to mean it is a whole other thing. 
Can we say it with belief and, and true conviction? Can we really say that God is good no matter what we face? You see, the writer catches himself before he actually slips. And how does he do this? And this is point one, is he moved towards his doubts. So in prayer, you move toward your doubt, your fear, your concern, your troubles. Whatever it is, you move towards it. Don't be afraid and run from it. You got to catch it before it causes you to completely slip away. And how you, why you catch it is because it causes growth. Now, the truth is, who, who likes to grow? Because I don't. If you have little kids and, you know, they experience these growing pains and they're crying and, and you know, you're trying to baby them and you're like, oh, I don't know what's wrong. And they're just being stretched. Nobody likes to grow because we like to stay where we're at because growth causes pain. But you see, when we want to grow in faith, when we want to grow in God, it's going to be a painful experience at times. But we need to catch ourselves and make sure that we move towards the pain, move towards the doubts. Because if we just fall away and run away, it'll always plague our mind. Prayer will drive us to want to know God. You can't ignore or not go towards the doubts unless you want to slip completely. There was a moment where I was probably a couple years into, you know, I got saved in 10th grade, and there was a couple years uh, that went by where I was good. God was doing some awesome things. I was going to church nonstop and um, being involved and doing everything right and reading my Bible and was passionate about serving God. And then there was these moments in my life where I started, you know, there was things happening in my life that I didn't like. And I began to use those experiences and turn it into like a reasoning thing. I began to say, you know, where did God come from? Because if, if God just can't be there, so that means God can't be real. And so I started using these deep little arguments to try to push God out of my life. And I remember going to some friends' houses, and, and they were, you know, watching TV and hanging out, and most of them were not Christians, and, I mean, I hung out with them. And they all came to me, and they noticed that I just had a different demeanor about me, and, and they said, Mark, what's wrong? And I said, no, I don't want to talk about it. And they're just kind of, you know, and so no one knew what was wrong, and so they were like, well, um, have, you, have you prayed? They're not Christians. And so they're like, well, have you prayed about it? And I'm like, I don't want to pray. And you should have saw, like, I remember their facial expressions. They're just like, did Mark just say he didn't want to pray? That's weird. And so one by one, people started coming in the room where I was at, and they were like, Mark, are you okay? I'm fine. Leave me alone. And they just were like, something was wrong. And, and one girl brought her dad's Bible to me and, and handed it to me and said, maybe you should read this. And I grabbed the Bible, and I threw it back at her. I said, I don't want to read that. Red flags were like, okay, Mark, something's wrong with Mark. This is the church guy. This is the guy that's supposed to be doing well and living right, and he's struggling with his faith, or something's not right with him, and I didn't want to talk to anybody. And after the little party, I went home, and I was quiet to the person that, that left, and they were trying to talk to me like, hey, what's going on? Are, are you and God okay? And I didn't want to talk to him. As soon as I walked into my house, my mom was out, you know, at her bar and stuff, and, and so I was home alone. And so when you get home, your mind starts playing more tricks on you and you start thinking and dwelling on things. And I just opened up to God and I said, God, I don't understand you. Are you really real? 
because I don't feel it right now. And I'm having this honest conversation with God. And about an hour later, I'm crying on my face, repenting. Did I get my answer of where did God come from? No. I think that answer is just too much for us to handle. There's a lot of things out there that are too much for us to handle. But when I went to prayer, when I moved towards my doubts, when I realized something was going on in my life, I had to pause what was going on, and I had to get along with God in prayer and say, God, are you really real? Because I really need to hear you. I need you to show me something. Now, did he show me anything, like, extravagant? Did he write anything on the wall? No. But as I went towards my doubts, as I went towards the circumstances and the difficulty that I was facing at the moment... I went towards them, and I went towards them in prayer to God because he's the only one that can handle the doubts, not just here. I'm not talking about just mind. I'm talking about heart issues as well. You see, this writer realized that he can look at these people and say they're being blessed, but he catches himself, and he says this. He says, I was envious of the arrogant. In other words, the truth is he was jealous. That's what was causing him to slip was it wasn't everything else. It wasn't where if God was good, he didn't struggle with that question. He didn't struggle with why they're being blessed and he's not. No, he struggled with the fact that they were getting something he felt like he should be getting. He caught himself because it was a heart issue. He was jealous. Remember, they have shalom and they have prosperity. They have health. And he says, I'm, and I get rebuked. His eyes became on the circumstances. His eyes became on everything else except what was going on in here when it was in here that was the problem. 2 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7 says, so we are always of good courage, Paul says. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Verse 7, famous, for we walk by faith and not by sight. You know, Paul says that we walk by faith and not by sight, and it's not, it's not that we check our mind at the door. It's not that we check our reasoning and, and doubts at the door. It's not that we remove those thinking or the difficult questions away from our lives. But Paul says we don't live by what we see or how things appear. See, here... The writer was looking at everything that has they appear. But for God to be good, he had to say, what's wrong with my heart? And he found jealousy there. Explanations and the way you read things sometimes make sense as you were a kid, but as you grow older, those explanations may not work for you anymore the way, the same way. I'm not going to, I was telling Kathleen a few weeks ago, me and, me and Layla were at home alone and just hanging out and playing games, and, and um, we were playing shoots and ladders, and we're talking about ladders going up towards, you know, up, and man, she, she's good. She beats me several times. I'm, I'm proud of her. I'm, I'm a sore loser, but I'm proud of her for beating daddy. Um, so we have a little game competition going on. It's awesome. But as we talked about the, the ladders going up, she, we started talking about heaven, and she started asking me questions, and I'm like, Listen, I can talk to adults about theology and doctrine and cults and religions and Greek and Hebrew. And, you know, if, if 
which God's real and, you know, Buddhist and Muhammad and all this. I'm good with talking about atheism, science. I'm good with talking about all that stuff. Talk to a kid about some of those things. I had a, my brain was just like, Pastor Ken, you, you did the children's ministry for years, and dude, I don't know how you did it. You know, I used to think kids' ministry, you know, you have games and stuff, but man, some kids, their imaginations are so big, and they have all these questions, and it's like, how in the world do you answer them? And so I'm having this conversation with Layla about heaven, about not going based on what we see, but based on faith, and she was like, where's heaven at? I don't know. She's like, I think it's up there. You could be right. So we're, again, we're having this conversation. But as Layla grows, the explanations will be different. Now it's God loves you. Jesus died on the cross for you. She accepts it. She can grasp that someone loves her. She can grasp that there's a God out there. She can, we can talk about how you look at the trees and the rocks and the mountains and, and space and stars, and you study this, and you just think, man, God is huge. This guy created all this, and her mind just expands in wonderment. And then as you grow, sometimes we complicate things even worse, and we begin to say, well, is that? So explanations sometimes are different based on our growth, based on maturity. But Paul says, don't go based on what you see. Don't go based on how things appear, but on faith. Faith causes you to grow. And we talked about growing is difficult, but it's needed. So how can we move towards our doubts, and how does the author here move towards his doubt? He was skeptical about his doubt. He asks the question, what was my motive? What was my intent? Again, it wasn't that God wasn't good. It's not that he was blaming God, but the truth is he was just jealous. The doubt wasn't a thinking problem. It was a heart problem. He was going on his sight. He, he wasn't getting what he deserved. I'm pure in heart. I'm, I'm a good person. I've done this for God. I'm entitled to it. You ever been, you feel like that where I've been serving God for 30 years and he should treat me a little better because I've given him 30 years. I'm entitled to being treated a certain way. Verses 15 through 17, he says, if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. In other words, if he shared this doubt with the people in the state that he was in at the time, it would have ricocheted. It would have ripple affected people. That's why it's important that when you have doubts, you run towards them in prayer. Now, it's good to have people around you that love you and that you can bounce ideas off one another, but you got to be cautious not to just go out and spread things because you never know if you're going to be a stumbling block to somebody. So you go to God in prayer, and that's why prayer is important. Verse 16, he says, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome, a wearisome task until I went to the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. Point two is to take your doubts to God. His own faith is connected to the well-being of others. Whether we like it or not or realize it or not, 
The way we live our lives impacts people around us. His own faith was connected to the well-being of others. And then he entered the sanctuary. I know it's a common thing that when you visit graves, some people talk to the grave, talk to the person that's no longer with them. I remember when I, when I was struggling with my dad's death and me and my mom would take flowers to his grave. You know, 10, 11-year-old boy going to the grave and when mom's away, you know, messing with trees or whatever near the grave, kind of, I talked to him, said, hey, dad, just kind of updating him on what was going on in my life. And usually when people talk to the graves or people to talk to the people that are there, you know, it's about memories of what happened back then or maybe memories that they're missing out on. You're just reminiscing and talking about life and, and maybe you're talking about the things that you faced and wish that they were here. There's an emptiness when you talk to that person because they're not there. Someone might say, you know, how you miss them and wish that they were here. Some have used it as a time of reflection or a time to, again, go down memory lane and to think about the good times you had with that person. In other words, when you go visit someone who is no longer with us, there isn't a whole lot of excitement. You don't go there excited to talk to someone that's no longer with you. There's a mourning there. See, when you pray to God, you are not going to an empty grave. You're not, not going to a God that sits in dirt or sits in a wall. You're not going to a dead God. You're going to a God that is alive and well. A God that has not been absent in your life. Even though it might feel like God hasn't been there, he has. You can't get out of doubt just by thinking. Because you didn't get there just by thinking. Our faith resides and knowing a person. You can't think about your spouse when you're dealing with problems and picture that it'll all be fixed and go away. You know, you have to go and actually have a conversation with them. You got to go talk to the person. It never replaces seeking the person out. You need to go to the person. Verses 23 through 28. It says, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. This is the writer talking to God. I, you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Who am I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and heart might fail. You see his circumstances, his, his eyes are changing. He saw the material. He saw what they had. He saw what the blessings and all that they were going through. This says, if my health fails, if my financial status fails, if my body fails, if everything about me fails, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish, but you put it into everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near to God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. I don't know if you have questions about your faith. I don't know if you're struggling because of a circumstance that's going on in your life. You'll never have all the answers to every question you have. There's always going to be another question. 
But we must get our eyes off what we see and our eyes on what we do not see. And though we may not be able to see God's spirit, we go to Jesus, our mediator, and we look to Jesus and we pray in Jesus' name because that is how we see God and that's how God hears our voice is through the Son's sacrifice. In prayer, you move towards your doubts. In prayer, you take your doubts to God. And honestly, prayer reveals where you are, who you are, and not who you think you are, or not where you think you are. See, his initial prayer was the circumstances. But when he took his doubts, when he took everything to God and prayed, he came to this conclusion that that's not who I am. That's not where I'm going. I caught myself before I slipped and fell. I caught myself because God is with me through the bad, through the good. Remember, if you're going through difficulty, you pray. If you're going through a good time, you praise. No matter what you're facing, we rely on a living God. Ben, if you'll, you'll, if you'll come up, and if everyone will close your eyes and bow your heads. God, we, we serve a living God. Your word says that we were facing death. That we were facing a hopeless death. And while we were on that pathway, you sent your son to die for us. And it changed everything. God, thank you for being a sacrifice and dying for our sins. Thank you for connecting our doubts and helping us understand that there's more behind the curtain, that there's more than just what we see, but there's the heart of the Father, there's the love of Jesus that surrounds us when we don't know it. And you want us to experience that. Lord, there's emptiness here, there's brokenness here. But God, we come to you a living, breathing, awesome God. We ask that you would just draw us to yourself. And Lord, help us to not be afraid to move towards doubts. Not be afraid to move towards you and not be afraid to just open ourselves and be vulnerable in prayer. Thanks for listening. If you're in the area, I'd love for you to come by and be my guest. Be blessed and remember that in all things, 